Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we were rolling right now. Are yeah. we? Yeah, we, we are. are. Ah, I'm now back to Frozen. Hello. It is Hi. good to be here. Hi. My name is Petros. <laughs> Suddenly I'm a Russian exchange student. Guys, hey, welcome to uh, the very first episode of You Made It Weird. I'm your host, Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes. That's, that's a premiere. This is a premiere moment. This is the first time that that word has been said on a podcast. You made it weird. You made it weird. That's I, awesome. I'm sure people have said that. That's something that you say. You know, we're talking about something and, and then you're and then you're like... You know, I have to wash daily or a rash grows, and then someone goes, oh, you, you, made made, weird. you made it weird. You made it yeah. weird. Like, we were just talking about our favorite movies, and you had to bring a rash into it. What did I do? No, no, you really owned that scene. Wow, good acting instincts. <laughs> you really believed that we were talking just then. Uh, anyway, th- this is, first of all, thank you for listening to this in the first place, because I know there are about 800,004 podcast choices for you. So the fact that you uh, are willing to try something new and have, have that sort of adventurous spirit to join us, that's, I appreciate that. Oh, that sounded really weird. No, no, no. See, that's where the name comes oh, from. Oh, right. Yeah, well, that, that's going to be easy. We never have to plan on making it weird. <laughs> Calling uh, your listeners and, and uh, admiring their adventurous spirit is always going to be a strange thing. So uh, the, the concept of the show is uh, I, I bring on people that I love. Like the other voice you're hearing is Kumail Nanjiani. Hello. Hello. We've known each other for so very long. I know. Uh, it makes me feel... Is it 10 years? It's over 10 years, I believe. Very, very long time. Yep. It was pre-9. I don't even say 9-11. It was, it was, it was pre-9. And I know what you mean. <laughs> you knew what I meant. We've known each other 10 years. Nobody ever says pre-9 oh, anything other than 9-11. Yeah, our friendship is so 9-10. Ah! It did not get affected. It was 9-11-2000. That's how our friendship goes it's way more, back. Yeah. Well, we, we started together in Chicago. Again, this that might be annoying. There's like one person listening that's like, what's the concept of the show? Is that I asked them about three weird things that I know about you. Yeah, you know many weird. things. I actually know me. probably every weird thing about I'm you. I'm kind of terrified. Right I, no, now. no, no. I, it's not really like that. No, but it, it's yeah. not one of those shows where it's like. So I understand you have three balls. It's not like that. That would be fine <laughs> if I had three balls. I would Extra not straight. stop talking about my three balls. <laughs> That's like a cool mail bet. I would be cool balls, Nanjiani. That would be the first thing I say. I, I have three balls. I have three balls. <laughs> Try That's, some guacamole. That's not. Oh. Well, why not, do you have to pick a fruit that has a ball-shaped not, pit? Oh, I, I wonder. I wonder if that's why you picked the avocado. Maybe it is. I think you were picturing. Try an avocado. some lychees. Oh, I can't <laughs> get away from it. <laughs> lychees are disgusting. They're a fake fruit grown in Japanese factories. I'm sure of it. There's no lychee tree. Lychees are amazing. They're made in the same place Hello Kitty is. They're so. <laughs> you know that's true. No. There's Hello Kitties coming off the conveyor belt. They actually gross. have the consistency of like when you get like Japanese candy. It's like that weird that's, fluffy thing. Yeah. Where I'm getting that idea, squishy. It's kind of how I feel like an eyeball would taste. So I just ruined lychee martinis. For I you. love lychees. I love lychees. Nobody loves lychees. I love. I grew up with lychees. We had lychees was one of Pakistan's Even, fruits. One of Pakistan's fruits. It's one of. Our, it's on, it's the, flag. on the flag. You have a yeah. cornucopia overflowing with Pakistan's fruits. Yeah, you know Pakistan's what we stand fruits. for. We're the first uh, country uh, formed because of a religion. Is that true? Yes, and uh, and your lychees. O- <laughs> Those are our two things. I'm going to, I have to, I've never seen, I've known you for, as we say, over a decade. Never seen you eat a lychee. Oh. I, I believe we've been in lychee we'll rich environments. Yeah. yeah. Like sushi restaurants. I'll, I'll get you a lychee that will change your mind about lychee. You know what else I'm not crazy about? That mushy uh, Just, green tea ice cream. Oh, All of the Japanese sweet I'm not things. into it. I'm not into boba tea. Not I, into that. Lychees. The Japanese people as a whole, I look at them and I don't trust them with pastries and anything kind of like festive and sweet. They're, <laughs> very, they're a serious people, straight black hair, cigarettes. I trust them for fish, uh, steak. Yeah, feed your cows beer. but Politeness. Like, politeness. Etiquette rules. Tolerance for this rant right now. But if you start making sweets, I'm leaving. And I don't care if you have a sword. You know what? Of all the foods, I think uh, sweets are the thing that don't translate across cultures. Like, I could... Ah! That's so true. I could give you Pakistani dessert that I would hate it. Will make you throw up. Yeah, what is this? Rosemary? I got a cookie. We call them biscuits there. Yeah. My friend was like, "Is there hot pepper in this?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And I hadn't even considered that that would be weird. If you go like weird fucking German candy, yeah, just yeah. kind of like, "You want lump lump?" And you're it's just like, the worst. "Is there milk in the center of well, this?" Well, you know what it is? I think is other foods uh would still have the same consistency, chicken, beef, whatever it is, sure, fish. Sure. But with this, 
it's the texture is always odd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the that's where I can't... That's what I'm talking about with the green tea ice cream wrapped in fucking Don't pizza dough. Don't love it. And then it's rolled in, like, a, you know, flour. Who is like, oh, God, what? That was a great meal. Could you bring me something covered in flour? Yeah, give me a, a huge straw to yeah. suck it through. You know that thing that a gymnast pats before he goes on the, on the horse bar? <laughs> give me one of those filled with ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I actually love that. Mochi. You're mochi, talking about that's mochi. That's what I'm talking about. What did you think I was talking about? Oh, I think you're talking about boba tea, like that bubble tea oh, that has yeah. those balls in I've it. I've never had that. I don't like that either. Yeah, that's a huge straw. Yeah. But mochi, I like, again, weird texture and consistency, but if you get past that, it's good. Nah, I don't think I'm going to get past that. I think I'm going to stay right here on this side of the river. But lychee is a lot more natural texture. I know it looks weird and it sort of feels weird, but... Still, I mean, be honest. If you were making a haunted house for children and you had a bag and you were like, there are eyeballs in here, would you put lychees in there so they could feel around and be frightened? Yeah, I mean, it's a scary... It's a fruit that is It's more, a scary fruit. It's a scary fruit. It's one of the scarier fruits. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got... You know, apples got nothing over lychee in that regard. Pineapple's a scary fruit? If you had to pick one fruit, you, there's one fruit, it's the only fruit you will ever eat again. For the rest of my life? One fruit. Ooh, that's a good one. I love one fruit. I love a good fruit. I love a good. Fr- I, I think we have to go with the standard apple. You have to go. Can I say apples, or do I have to pick a variety? No, you can say apples. Then I'm saying apples. Oh um, God, there's a there's a maze of mystery of apples. There's endless apples. I'm so picking, many different apples. I'm picking one that there aren't that many of. What are you picking? A banana. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's just but it's they all. I feel like the the apple is the fork and the banana is the knife and the plate I, is life. And we're winning. What's the spoon? Oranges, maybe? The spoon is the orange. Yeah. All of this is making a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it totally We're makes redefining sense. the food pyramid. So anyway, what were we saying? We knew each other for 10 years. That actually brings me to the first weird thing. All right. Did we leave something off? No, we knew each other for 10 years. We no, I mean like from that last conversation. Who knows? Who what knows? We leave something off. I felt like we were heading somewhere. Never mind. I want to talk about this. This is the first weird thing. Because we're going to, oh, that's what it was. I'm talking about three weird things. First weird thing is, I knew you for 10 years. This goes back to our story. And your comedy voice, no one knows this but me. Everyone else from that scene is gone. That's oh, not yeah. True. That's not true. But I know you from 10 years ago and your persona, which I'd like to talk about a little bit, your stand up persona. For those of you who don't know, Kamel is a fantastic stand up comedian who's oh, appeared you, on uh, the David Letterman show. Yes. You were on the David Letterman show. You were on. You know, you haven't done a half hour, which is very strange. I just, I couldn't you, do one. You I was supposed to do over. one. Yeah. You did what John Mulaney, Hannibal, Kumail got offered presents and were like, I'm going to wait a little bit. Nick Kroll. Kroll did it too? Kroll did an hour. What? Why is Why is it just me that's like, please, can I do a half hour? Like, whatever you have. Emailing them. I'll take whatever you have. Just call- <laughs> I'm calling in my avails. You want me to host some sort of parade where I have to do man on the street? I'll do yeah, it. I'm sorry. We're out of pizza. Can I just get, just put lettuce with some cheese on it? Just, I'll take that. Just tomato sauce and a cup. I'll leave. And you're waiting for your delicious pizza, your one hour special. I'll, I'll wait for the pizza. <clears throat> did you do live at Gotham Comedy mm-hmm. Club? Okay. So you did that. Yes. That was my first, well, not my first TV. My first TV was Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel's. The Jim Kim. So anyway, Google YouTube any of those and watch Kumail and you'll know. But your persona now is very, very different from when you started. And I, that's the first weird thing. Yeah. Because I want to just get us adjusted to the idea of weird things. Yeah. When you started, every time I see you, I do an impression of old Kumail, which is how you would start every set, which is you'd, you'd have your finger wedged in your eye where that weird little... <laughs> Memory's a little misremembering. Yeah, no, this is an exaggeration, perhaps, so that we could hear the squish of the eye. That was the first sound the I audience make heard. the sound? Right? <laughs> That's the sound. I'm so sorry. It's only because he asked me to. And then you would go, hey. And then, yeah. you would do that? Yeah. yeah. I, I sometimes squish, sometimes hey, sometimes hey, sometimes squish. Yeah. Both, both would happen. No, it was very different. I would never leave, take the microphone out of the stand. And, and you was- looked terrified you know what it was i was terrified so i sort of played to that persona and then that's really funny it was like i was very nervous on stage that was my shtick right yeah yeah yeah. that's that's very helpful to someone who is starting out doing comedy and is nervous and is terrified that you just made that your voice yeah i I, went up and pretended i was very comfortable (laughs) but you know what uh fake it till you make it actually i think works because you want to be comfortable pretend to work pretend to be confident until you are confident yeah yeah yeah, it absolutely works and and i was going for more the loud smiley higher energy sort of but you were going for like a lower, like Woody Allen, I believe, is one of your earlier influences. And then, and then I saw you when you came to New York, and, and suddenly you were a different Kumail. I called you New Mail. New Mail. Right. <laughs> you were New Mail. I think. Well, this is what it was. I remember. So I was doing it. I was very nervous, and I was like, I'll just play up my nervousness. And I got really 
stuck in this mode where I would do the same exact jokes the same exact way, same exact cadence. Yeah. Like you could dub, you could like overlap five different sets and yeah. you wouldn't know that it was, it would just be <laughs> one sound. You could sync up to yourself. You could sync up to myself. Yeah. That's uh, always the worst. And I realized at one point, uh, I said, I, I was on stage and somebody heckled me or said something and you were there and didn't say anything. And you were like, when people do that, you have to acknowledge it. You don't, otherwise people are like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> you, you said people think a uh, robo comic is what you said. Yeah, robo comic. And I, it was a good thing, but it, I was like kind of, I remember uh, that little hurt, but in a good way. No, it's, it's actually really funny because we have talked about this before. I remember in New York, we, we were in Chicago together and then we were in New York together. And one time in New York, you told me that you were like, you know that guy I forget who it was but you were like that guy never writes his jokes down and he never does them the same way twice and both of us were kind of like that's retarded that's so stupid but now in our maturity we've both been doing it about 10 years I'm trying to find a way to always do jokes differently and to always have them be fresh Yeah. because the easiest way to fake fresh is to have it actually be fresh yeah. Isaac Witty, who we both know told me that he doesn't go up with a set list like he doesn't know the order that he's going to go in you know who else does that? The White Stripes. The White Stripes don't know what they're going to open with. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Very, there's a lot of parallels there. So you go up, you don't know what you're going to open with, and it forces you. You can even just talking about it kind of like energizes me a little bit and makes my adrenaline start going. And I'm like, what am I going to say? Instead yeah. of going up and being like, hey, I'm Kumal. You know. I would start every single set. Ex- I remember there was this, uh, you know, Sean Flannery, our friend. He's a very funny comedian. And uh... Come on. Let's get in the beer. If you knew Sean, that's a pretty good Sean. In, in Chicago. And he would always open with something new that he had never done before. That's really And we would be like, what the fuck are you doing? And sometimes it would bomb. Yeah. Uh, we did this room called Joe's, which was like 300 douchebags. It was like a douchebag warehouse. Yeah. So he always had to be on. And he would go up, do something he'd never done before. Yeah. Uh, and we were always like, that's crazy. But to me now, yeah. that is the best strategy. Go up and do something new. Well, where are we? I think that's important. If we're here, we're recording at Meltdown Comics with the Nerd Melt Theater. And if I'm here, absolutely, I'll start with something I thought of in the car. That's the best. Yeah. It'll, it'll make it feel fresh. People can tell. They can, it is fresh, They can identify yeah. that sincerity. And yeah. then they'll trust you. And then they'll go with you wherever you want to go. But if I'm uh, where I was just at uh, the Ice House in Pasadena on Thursday. And that's, that's like a room. That's like a club. And you have to show them that you're kind of in charge you up know- top. And you can't be like... Here's something. Here's what's up with carrots. <laughs> you know what's I- interesting? I had moved to New York and it really changed my stand up. And then I moved. And I, in New York, I would always start off riffing. Every single fucking set I right. did for two years. We made fun of you, me, me and your wife, Emily, because you'd always riff for like a certain amount of time, five minutes or yeah. so. And then you go, so what's up, you guys? Yeah. And, that was <laughs> and that's how we knew you were done riffing. I didn't realize that. But when you guys put it out, I was like, oh, yeah, that was it my was a thing. Emily and I kept it to ourselves for a yeah. time that you would continue to do it. You know what I realized? For our delight. It was a subconscious like signal to the audience right. that I didn't even know. But, but like, hey, now this is going to be slightly different from you what I've been doing. Sort of stuff. That's why anybody listening that hosts a comedy show or wants to host a comedy show, people, audiences need these cues. That's a subtle cue. But I'm talking about like making them clap at the top of a show. You ever do a terrible show or watch a host do terrible? It's often because he didn't make them clap at the top of the show. It's just the simplest thing, yeah. It's so stupid. And you think it's like it's not cool or something. It's like, oh, what is this? Is a fucking comedy club? Two drink bad. Make them clap because it unifies them. And now they have a centered focus of the guy on the stage. And now they've done something that they're like, oh, this is something I will repeat over the course of the night. Exactly. And they've bonded into like, hopefully, over the over the course of the show, they'll meld into the idea of the audience, like one thing. Right. And then when they clap, that's the first time they're like coming together. Right. And people don't do it. And actually, I think it is helpful to have little cues that you're kind of starting. Well, this is what I was going to uh, say. Steve Martin used to just say, let's get started. <laughs> that's a pretty Louis good one. Louis C.K., I saw him in uh, Cambridge one time, and uh, he went up and he was and he just talked about how there's no natural way to start. And I was so envious of that's that. That's perfect. I was so envious. But I that's was like, what, he found the only genuine way to start. Like, it's sort of become a little hack to talk about your appearance up top, but it is so natural. Ugh. It's such a natural thing When people thing to go, go up and they don't seem to have a perception of how they're coming across, and if they're not going to say something with it, and be like, I know the hack version is like, address what you look like, and be like, I look like a, you know... Hello Kitty doll or whatever, or go against it, like someone like Nathan Trenholm, who we started, who looked like a little sweetheart, he yeah. was like three foot two and looked like a little uh, cartoon, like an anime cartoon, and he would go up and be filthy. So you got to go with it or go against it, but have some sort of commentary because everyone in those first five seconds is assessing what you look like. Is this guy going to go with it or is he going to go against it? Well, the ultimate weirdness about stand up, ultimately to me, <laughs> is that it's the it's an illusion of dialogue. 
but it is not. It's a performance. So that's the hardest thing. When you go up and you launch into a performance, then that takes people out of it. Yeah. Stand-up is supposed to seem like, oh, this is just coming to me. We're both talking, except right. you're not saying anything. Right, right, right. But we're both talking. I, go ahead. And what I noticed was in, in New York, I would, you know, I would always riff in the beginning, and I came to L.A., and no one really knew me here. I've been here a year now. In the beginning, I would start every set riffing, and it would make people here uncomfortable. In L.A., they weren't as used yeah. to the riffing in the beginning because yeah. it's a lot. I think stand-up in New York is the best in the world. I think it makes you good stand-up. Here, I see a lot of people doing the same jokes over and over. Yes. Like, I think there's only a handful of people that I consider always writing new stuff. Flush out the tub and fill it again. Yeah, people are always doing the same stuff. So I think here it would make people uncomfortable when I started riffing in the beginning. They'll yeah. be like, wait, what's he doing? This is Until not they trust you. I noticed that Until too. Until they trust you. Those Until first couple times you. are like Tiger Lily or something. This is a show on Monday night. Yeah. Go, I would go up and I would riff and then I was like, oh, everyone's like pulling away from exactly. me. Exactly. like so identifiable uh, identifiable feel of like the audience you can backing know. away yeah. like you open with cancer or the holocaust but really you're just like oh look at the stage it looks like this this or this and I notice this guy laughs like this and they're like stop talking to us do the performance yeah which is weird because if you want to run a TV set come to LA yeah you can oh come God. up and just be like so I hailed a cab just to stop it from hitting me how you guys doing tonight? people will clap and yeah in New York that would not fly because the thing is <laughs> that's that is a joke of mine Katie. <laughs> that is an actual yeah, joke, an actual joke. in New York uh, riffing to me was a way of being like this is how confident I am I could just do whatever I want I have stuff written right but look at me I'm just talking about shit that's coming to that's how confident right, I right, am. right. here people want but now I feel like I can do it like I've, it's I, weird it's a town that wants to know and trust you and then once it knows and trusts you it'll let you continue to report it'll let you do perform. whatever you want but yeah. it's you sort of have to like win but so going back to the voice thing i did have this like very specific voice and i remember the first time hey. thinking that i needed to like change it was uh i was i'd seen some horror movie that i really really liked and i was like i wish there was a way on stage that i could just talk about how much i like this horror movie but my persona would not allow for it <laughs> that's really funny and that's what it was you were limited i was I've, limited i find that too it's so funny uh my persona has also changed and like it, it used to be even more positive and kind of like everything's good like even if i'm shitting on something i kind of like frame it as like i love this or whatever and now I'm finding when I did my album, I, I wanted to record so much material, I ended up doing like 90 minutes or whatever. And I was tired. I couldn't maintain my persona. Yeah. So it's funny. Like you have to, on a long enough timeline, I think in order to survive, a comedian has to become more Themselves. of who he actually is. Yeah. On stage and off stage, there can't be a huge difference. You'll just be tired. Especially right now where our culture, celebrity culture, the way it is, is like everybody wants to know everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Twitter, people talk to them. They want to yeah. know what Brad Penn and yeah. Julie are eating. And if there's like a big disconnect between who you are and right. who you're on stage, that's not cool anymore. That's absolutely true. Louis Black had a quote that changed my life. I remember I heard it in New York. I, I don't know Louis Black, but somebody told me this quote where he says, a lot of comedians make the mistake of being funnier off stage than on stage. That's how you were when I knew That's you. That's how I, I was. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you used the past tense because I'm trying to remedy that because off stage I would kind of like say anything, express myself. You would myself. say like sort of stuff that was really like weirdly like edgy, racist. Right, yeah, like yeah. Racist trying fun, to get a, a rise out of fun you. Fun stuff. It was like you were a lot darker off stage than you were on stage. Right. You were afraid of being dark on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was so weird, that and, public persona of just like, I'm, I'm your friend. I, I just want everybody to love me. But it's also... I mean, ultimately, the hardest thing to do on stage is be yourself because you go out because if they if you don't do well, they're rejecting your stand up persona. They're rejecting. If you're on stage <laughs> being yourself, they're rejecting you. That's exactly right. And you don't think of it like that, but that is what it That's is. That's why it hurts. It's if a you're, wall. If you're being, uh, hey, how you folks doing? I turned on the radio today, and uh, it just being a fake character and yeah. you fail they're like well they didn't like jimmy two shoes oh yeah. jimmy two shoes didn't go over with this crowd yeah. but if you go up kumail and talk about you and your life and your wife and your cat and your life all that sort of stuff and you fail you fail yeah. you have to eat that shit yeah. sandwich they alone rejected me in your van there's nothing else this is me on but stage. transversely when you succeed and you were yourself you feel an absurd high and an incredible love that I think we're all chasing. It used to be for me before I went on stage, I would take me like a half hour of I'd be quiet, I'd be getting in my zone, I'd be thinking, going over my bits, and now I could just be talking to you. They call my name, I run up, right. do the set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the best. There, there was a time. 
it's the best where I can just be like, oh, this weird thing happened. I can go on stage and talk about right. this. Because you're just being an extension of yourself on stage. Right. At for, Remember, the I used to be so Seinfeldy. Yeah. When I started. I, Brian Regan. And Brian Regan, of yeah. course. Of course. I still to this day can't watch Brian Regan because I will rip him off. That's for, the a hardest week. thing. A week. For those of you who don't know, Brian Regan is the most ripped off and uh, imitated comedian, and I'm guilty of this, absolutely. One of the funniest, like, the, the hardest you laugh is watching Brian Regan, and it's sort no of a doubt. tragedy that he's not as, I mean, comics yeah. know him, but he's not a name in the way that Seinfeld or people are. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. He does do theaters, and, like, he has a hardcore fan following. But, like, what, I know what you mean. Like, my mom, to use Chris Rock's gauge, you're not famous until my mom knows who you are. Yeah. My mom has no idea who. This is but you know what's thing. funny about that? My mom doesn't know who Chris Rock is. She doesn't? Yeah, so kind of bit him in the I ass. Bet, but she would recognize him. She would recognize him and be like, is that Richard Pryor? Is that Eddie Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> we were going the same way. <laughs> uh, I'm from Boston. It's a troubled place. Here's the thing. This is what, you know, Dan Kaufman, comedian from Chicago, sure. our, another of old course. friend of ours, he said, he would. I'm not going to name comedians, but he would say, oh, I don't like this comedian. He's too intellectual. And that's how my comedy was. It was very intellectual. It was very like jokes. It was, right. you wait for something funny to come to you and then do it versus finding something that you think is interesting and trying to make it relatable and funny. Um, right. And uh, I think to me, Brian Regan is, there's the emotional funny and there's an intellectual funny. And to me, the best is when they can both be combined. He you know? is so funny. When I met him, you know, you remember the story of I met him. It was oh, horrible. Yeah. Me and Joe Mandy were in Miami for the... This is your hero. This is my hero. Number one. My hero. Brian Regan, my hero. Never met him. I've seen him a couple times. And I went up to him and uh, I was I was sober and I said to him, I was like, Brian, I, I just got to say, oh, oh, by the way, this is after a show. It's in Miami where he's from. All his family is there. So I'm just looking around at people that kind of look like Brian Regan. <laughs> like, like if you kind of just nudge the like picture. Like a woman of version of Yeah, there's yeah. a lady Regan. You squish a picture of him and that's that's his brother. <laughs> exactly. His brother's just a little squish. That's how it was when I met the Farley brothers. I did a benefit yeah, for Chris Farley. I met those And guys. it was all like skewed versions yeah. of Chris Farley. Look, there's skinny Farley. There's yeah. like wide Farley. There's oh, so bald funny. Farley. Yeah. Old bald Farley doing what he do. So I'm, ta- I'm he's surrounded by his family and me and a very funny comedian, Joe Mandy. And and I go up to him and I, I was proud of this compliment. I said, I feel like every successful comedian working today should write you a handwritten thank you note. And he was like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Okay. 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 Big yellow one is the sun. Okay. We used to do filthy Regan. The big fucking yellow one is the sun. Are these my goddamn glasses? It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. He's clean. That's the thing. Yeah, he's, he's clean. So we take his bits and we do swears. So anyway, then I get drunk and then I go, <laughs> oh, no. I go up to my hero, my hero again, talking to like his brother. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who he probably if you squint, seen. it feels like you're talking to Brian. He looks like he's talking, he's talking to uh, himself, basically. And I go up and interrupt him talking to his brother, who he probably hasn't seen in years. And I'm like, Brian, Brian. Now I'm all liquored up. Hey, Brian. Oh, when I met him, he said, I'd love to see your stuff sometime. Uh-huh. And then I go, hey, man, if, if you want to see my stuff, maybe <clears throat> can I get your email? I asked him for his email. Okay, this is hammered. Pretty drunk. I don't. I wasn't like blackout or anything. But this will like, be like. I mean, we're sort of comedy nerds. Imagine if you met like somebody like Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, exactly. And we're like, hey, can I get your email? Can I get your email? This is the equivalent because he said something nice to you, like, oh, I hope to hear you play sometime. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I have clips. I'll email them to you. <laughs> so I said this to him, and he, God love him. I don't judge him for doing this. Just started slowly walking away from me backwards. Uh-huh. And he walked away and he went, oh, uh, no, oh yeah. he didn't even reply. He didn't say words. He was like, oh, nah. and I was like, ah, or I could just give you mine. Suddenly I'm clear, clear. I could just give you mine. He goes, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah just give me yours. I go, P- it's Pete Holmes, whatever. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. A Yahoo? A Yahoo? Okay. And just backed into the crowd. <laughs> and I, I, No I, writing down. No I, attempt at writing down. I took down. a picture. I took a picture. I'll tweet the picture yeah. for anybody that wants to see it. Uh, Pete Holmes with a Z. I'll tweet it. <laughs> uh, the Ugh. other thing that really changed for me doing stand-up was uh, uh, Eddie Brill is the booker for Letterman and a very funny comedian. He books Letterman, and to comedians, doing Letterman is the biggest thing. So I did a set in front of Eddie like years ago, 
and it was terrible. I didn't do that. I did fine for how I was, but this was old persona. And uh, he was <laughs> like, call me and I'll give you notes, which was very nice. Like, I wasn't a guy that he thought was ever going to be on. So I called him and he gave me a bunch of notes and he told me, he was like, take the mic out of the stand. And I was kind of pissed off. Like, I was like, what are you doing? That's what I do. Todd Barry does that. What are you right. doing? He's like, just take the mic out of the stand. And uh, I was like, all right, I will try it once. And I I was like, who, who the fuck is this guy telling me this? <laughs> I will try it once. Took the mic out of the stand instantly changes new male was born exactly exactly (laughs) and i've told him that like i owe him because that there's so many barriers between you and if you have that mic stand in front of you that's like a safety net you know what's funny is i started mike out and now i'm mike in and you know why but that's different because i like to pick up the whole stand because i'm a goddamn giant right i think it looks very funny to pick it up and be like this world amuses me yeah you know what i mean you call this a thing yeah and put it on my foot this is my mic yeah i yell as if i don't even need the microphone it's it's really so it's all those little things like these little physical things that feel like outward but they can work work inward think about all this stuff we think about all of this stuff it's absurd the perfect meal although i'd like to say that's a big moment about five years deep in the stand-up i stopped caring about what i ate before yeah even before this podcast, I was like, get a good pre-show food. Yeah, and you I didn't don't... say, what did you mean? You said, oh, I'll get a banana. Yeah. Because you don't want – well, everybody can know you don't want to eat like a turkey meatloaf before your yeah, yeah, yeah. public speaking. I don't occasion. like eating before uh, – I mostly have dinner at like 11 p.m. because I know, don't like eating before. You know what's funny? Here's a weird fact. I get my weird facts from the weirdest place. I said Uroboros on stage the uh-huh. other night. You know, the snake eating snake. Eating snake. And I uh, – to feel smart. And then I admitted that I only knew that because it's an adaptation. This uh-huh. is similar. When you eat, you, uh, you, your blood that was in your brain goes to your stomach. Right. And I got that from that like Riptide show with Pamela Anderson. Not Baywatch. There was some like crime fighting show. <laughs> and I totally got was that. Pamela Anderson? I, I'm pretty sure Pamela Anderson yeah. was on some sort of crime fighting wave team. No, it makes sense. Even when you're That's cold, like if you eat food, you get cold because the blood is rushing from your extremities to your... Uh, oh, is that true? Yeah. Uh, Tolstoy said the drunk freeze. What is? Oh, what does yeah. that mean? It means when you're uh, drunk, you feel warm, but you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in some short story. See, every, oh, God, I'm not smart, but I remember the, the few things that yeah. I've read. Did you know the QWERTY keyboard was designed to slow you down? You told me this yesterday. Isn't that interesting? Because the computers couldn't handle yeah, fast type, typing. No, typewriters couldn't. They would jam if they made it in a way that people understood. So they made QWERTY to confuse you. So they put vowels away from each other yeah, and things like that. to slow you down so you would hunt and peck. And now... We use it. We just agree. We we've adapted to it. We've adapted, but there's still faster ways like stenographers and stuff. They're not using QWERTY. Is that right? Look at their hands. They never move. I've never seen them reach the pinky for the Y. Never <laughs> happens. It's already there. Yeah. Anyway, this brings us to weird thing number two. doesn't really, but I forced it. Yeah, do it. Do it. You're married. Yes. Get into it. Yes. What the fuck, man? What do you mean? I just mean, how do you do it? I love your wife so much. It's, it's totally appropriate, but you know, she's one of my best friends. Yes, yes. I think she's fantastic, but... How many people can we say that we know that are doing what we do and are married? Well, the amazing thing, I am very lucky in that Emily uh, is very, very funny, which yes. to us is weirdly we important. We watched a Mothman documentary, and she, I I know I, I should get used to it. I've known yeah. her for many years now, too. But still, when she's as funny as you and I yeah. are, I'm like, what is going it, Oftentimes, much funnier, yeah, actually. She's very funny. Yeah, she's I, she funny. said something yesterday that I can't. She's really funny, and she's oh, fucking God. gorgeous, and... Uh, uh, well, so so that makes it really easy, and she. But comes also, out she's. Inter- I've given this a lot of thought. She's also interested in comedy. She in genuinely is, and she's very. She's got very good gauge. I run every bit by her, and she'll be like, "This yeah. will work." I can remember just once where something that she said wouldn't work has worked. Just once, really, out of literally hundreds of bits. See, Jeannie uh, and Jim Gaffigan, I believe, have a funny respect uh, relationship as well. Like, I, I worked uh, the Cleveland Improv years ago with uh, Jim Gaffigan, and I remember his wife was super funny, would give him tags, you know what I mean, that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, and they're, you know, they're still together. It's been a long time. They have a bunch of kids. It's weird. It's hard to think of a way to be in a relationship. I'm single. Be in a relationship with somebody that isn't, like, involved in comedy or, like, interested yeah. in comedy. But that's weird because you don't want them to be, like – some super fan that's like creepy or freaking oh, totally. out. Chuckle fuckers. Chuckle fucks. Is that a thing? Chuckle fuckers, yeah. I, I just it's dropped the ER. Thing. Who it's, has the time? Uh, yeah, who has the time? <laughs> who has the time? Just call them Chucks. Chuck fucks. Nine. Um, <laughs> Post nine Chuck fucks. <laughs> um, the thing with Emily is, yeah, so she's really interested in comedy. She likes coming out to stuff. Uh, we try and travel together as often as we can. Like Matt Mavis and Jay Leno. 
Is that right? Yeah, he'd bring her on the road. Yeah. But this is the other thing. For Sorry me, to compare you to Mavis. And I would do so many shows where when I had a good set or before it, I would just scan the crowd and look for like, oh, that was a good set. Who can I hook up with? Like, right. So so much of me wanting to do be good at stand-up was based on wanting to get laid afterwards. Honestly. Really? A I lot. found that very surprising. I was just talking – or Mike Birbiglio was saying on Marin's podcast about how there are two kinds of guys – Guys that got into comedy to get laid and guys who didn't. I didn't get into comedy to get laid. Okay. But I would definitely, every good every single good set, I would be looking for that as a bonus. That's every single good set. As a tag. And, yeah, as a tag. <laughs> That's the punchline. And then just this tag. I tagged her. You oh, animal. You filthy beast. But not just, just not having that is so much more freeing. Cause I think that it's being on stage. This is what Paul Provenza told me is like being on stage your best when you're completely fearless, when you don't give a shit. Yeah. And that's uh, the ultimate weird thing is when it really matters is when you give a shit. So, so you don't do as well, but you, and to me, taking that part out, wanting to get laid afterwards, yeah. it just makes you a lot more braver on stage. Cause the best I do is when I'm like, I'll, I don't care if I bomb. Right. And of you course. don't bomb. Of you don't course. Bomb. You yeah. won't bomb if you're not afraid of bombing. It's yeah. like it's like in the cartoons when they run off the cliff. They only fall when they look down. Exactly. And you, ne- and you never look down. Never look down. You just Here's running. what's weird about me. This is going to sound strange. I After I kill, if I fucking destroy, sex is the last thing on my mind. I just fucked the entire crowd. Really? And they're all pregnant with my fucking ha-ha babies. Even the boys. All the boys are going to have them <laughs> anal birth. <laughs> We're going to have a goddamn haha baby anal birth. And like the idea of like getting off stage and meeting a girl and trying to hook up with some girl. I'm like, what do you want me to be funny more? You're going to come to my place on the car ride over. I'm going to make little quips. Yeah. You want me to dance for you? Go fuck yourself. I just already, I already go entertained fuck, you. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had this thing like when you get off stage and you you had a good set, you know, I can't sleep for like three, four hours after that. So I'd be like, oh, if I get laid, yeah. then, you know, that'll tire me out and I can go to bed. I definitely would look for it after everything. That's really interesting because if you have sex, this is how I think. I've never done this. I've never done casual sex. Is there a meal involved? You've never done casual sex? No, you know this. Oh, that's right. You know this. I've done casual sex. Not much. Not much Here's what I'm thinking. I do a show. I destroy. It's potentially possible to hook up with a girl after the show. All right. Maybe it will help you sleep if you have sex. That's so grotesque. Men are the worst. Men are the worst. Oh, man. If I just blow a load, I'll be able a, to sleep better. It's either a Tylenol PM yeah, or, or a, a person. Or a person. With use, a fucking soul. Use a person. Yeah. Either an Ambien or an Amber. Fuck you, Kumail. I'll take the Amber over Ambien every I'll time. I'll take the Ambien. You know why? You have you fucking – that Ambien kicks in. No one's there with you. You yeah. have sex with Amber. You're both done. You got off. She's still there. I leave. I used to what leave. What if she's at her, your place? You shoo her? Do you get a broom lighted on this fire is weird. and shoo her? This goes back to it. When, back to the days. When Emily and I started dating, first of all, when I asked her out, she said no. I knew that. And then we started dating. She'd just come out of a long relationship and she was like, uh, I don't want to be in a relationship. So I – and I was so scared of being in a relationship – I said this rule. I was like, we can't spend the night together. So she would come over and then we would – I was like, all right, now. You'd be intimate and then she'd have to leave like the Seinfeld episode with the rules? Yeah, the rules. Sleeping over optional. She still brings it up. I'm like, yeah. She's I was, still hurt by it. Well, she thought – she. Th- I mean, she knows why it was happening. You know but it means weird? more that now, now that we're married. Yeah. That's the, that's the saving sleeping over for marriage. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. That's you what saved it was. Some, some people save anal. Some people yeah. save sex. You saved cuddling. So, yeah, cuddling. You know what's weird about me, and I'm not just saying this for uh, the girls listening to go, oh, I, prefer, I like the sleepover. I like that. I sleep better when somebody is like hated in the it. bed with me. I used to have sleeping problems all God, the time. I, can I just say I hated what I just said? So needy and codependent. No, no, no. It's but it's fine. nice. Yeah. It's nice somebody's there. This is a safe space. There are all these like positions that you could like spooning. They're spooning, but then like, you know what's better than spooning is the drape. I'm a huge fucking guy. I'm like a Tempur-Pedic. Yeah. You sleep on me. That's best sleep of your life. What's your you can hear my number? heartbeat. You feel like you're in the womb. Uh-huh. My sleep number is 10 on a scale of 10. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. I wish Perfect. I were a girl so I could sleep on me. The gentle rise and fall of my breath. Man. This is not weird. The other thing was weird, but this is fine. This is fine. I'm in love with myself. <laughs> Sure. You should get a bigger bed formed like you. Yeah, a like a race car of, bed. Yeah, but, but with you instead of a race car. You know what's funny? Dwight Slade, uh, Dwight Slade uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, said that he wanted to sleep. You know how kids have a race car bed? He wanted to sleep in a Pete Holmes bed just because I cheer him up so much. Aww, I love that guy. Sweet. He's the best. I got to have him on the show. Dwight, 
There's zero chance. <laughs> zero. Zero chance that he would listen send him and, an email. and listen this far. Way more way more efficient. Yeah, send yeah. him an email. So okay, married. But You're yeah, married. I and I had sleeping problems. Like I would take sleeping pills every single night. Or an amber. <laughs> or an amber. Or an amber. But then with the amber, when I was done, I wanted nothing more than to be gone. Like you leave or I leave, like I Is it the shame? It's you know it's clarity. It's the clarity that comes after male orgasm. You know where you're Ugh, like, what the, the worst. fuck am I doing with my life? Uh, and it brings it to zero. It the tank it, is empty. There's a zero. lot. There's a lot linked to. Uh, oh God, I was going to say our seed. There's a lot linked to it. There's like uh, brain power, physical power, all that sort of stuff. And you've just shot that. <laughs> out yeah. and now you're like i just want a cookie i want to go home and play video games That's yeah exactly because your anxiety play. levels are lower yeah your body's relaxed yeah i and probably your ego feels pretty good because you brought home an amber yeah i've done the thing that i that you know what this is also what i realized is like so much of wanting to hook up with girls was about the ego and not about actually being there doing it being there doing it is great yeah but for me it was almost enough if a girl was like yeah i would sleep with you and i was that's, like all right that's all i needed i'm gonna who go master said bed. this somebody said this i've heard some comedians say this i believe on a podcast uh it was a married one how many married people do we know anyway i'm so sorry i'm the for sclars. stealing this the sclars paul f Tompkins. i think it was paul f Tompkins. actually i don't know uh anyway i think he said the idea that they would is enough yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's exactly that works right. for me all the time. That's what it was. If yeah. a girl is like really being like, "Let's fucking do this," I'm like, ah, "Done, done." I just came in my soul. That's all I needed. Yeah, and I'm gonna sleep great, thinking that in we a could giant have bed shaped like me. In a giant bed shaped like me, high fiving Dwight Slade. <laughs> yeah. So you're married and you're making it work. That's amazing. I, I wonder though. We, me and TJ, uh, our friend TJ Miller, talk about this all the time. The perfect person for a comedian. They have to be creative. They have to understand somebody that's passionate about their job. Right. That's what's weird about us is that we love our job. Not in the weird way that like guys on Wall Street love their job. They're like, I just love the thrill of I want to skull fuck money. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. Not like that. It's more like a constant and insatiable need to communicate, be heard, and make people laugh and all that sort of stuff. So if you deal, if you deal with somebody that can't handle this other love in your life. I see so many comedians who are married or with girlfriends who are not into comedy. And yeah, I'm like, how, how do you I can't work. It work? It can't work. It's like one of you sober. It's like one of you sober and one of <laughs> Like how I just named somebody who yeah, yeah, yeah. significant other is not into comedy. Yeah. And I'm and like, how can true. this work? This, I was ju- I this just, is going to fail. I saw in uh, the movie, Will Ferrell movie, Everything Must Go, which is pretty good actually. They said that the success rate for relationships, if we're both alcoholics and we got married, and then I sober up and you don't, the success rate is almost zero. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that's that's got to be what it's like with comedy. I don't have the statistic to back that up, but it's like – it's like you're still getting drunk on comedy every night. Yeah, and you're not. And I want to do some wheatgrass and sleep with a puppy. I mean, let's let's. Can we get into this? Can yeah, we talk about your. You marriage? made it weird. You oh, you just made it weird. Of course, that was now one of the that wife, was one of the big reasons when she my wife left me and I mean yeah I got married. When I, let's bring him up to speed. And your wife is wonderful, uh, gorgeous. I mean, I don't know. Are how you kidding anyone me? Would. <laughs> you fucking dick. I'm being an asshole. You are a dick. You've never said anything like that. I agree. She was very nice. She was a very nice person. She is a nice person. Mm-hmm. I got married when I was 22. It's like kids playing marriage. It shouldn't even be allowed. It shouldn't be allowed. It's like getting a tattoo when you're drunk. It shouldn't be allowed. (laughs) Drunk on churchy goodness. Exactly. I grew up very churchy, so I got married to the first person I had sex with. That's what I did. We're setting up a great segue, by the way, for the next thing. To the next one. Oh, I know. Yeah, we are. I shouldn't have told you the third thing. I wanted it to be a surprise. Anyway, so I grew up churchy, and what churchy people like me do is you have sex with somebody, and then you're like, well, we're technically married, so we might as well make it official. Might as well just do it. 22. You're a child. When she uh, filleted me the first time, I was like, we're going to get married. That's yeah. how I was. That's just how I was. And that's what you were thinking while this was happening. That's, I can't get hard unless I'm like, I'm going to marry this person. <laughs> so and you have to say weird. it out loud. I have to say it out loud. I'm fucking marry you. While they're looking at, at eye contact. That's or like, the, you're no like the opposite of porn. Yes. Where porn is, porn is about like. Just, this is meaningless. You're garbage to me. Yeah, I'm like, you're, like, you're a treasure. I, I want to meet your mother. I, I, I love you. You'd be great in a porno. Like halfway through. I love you. Just And then it's just awkward. <laughs> you made it weird. Yeah. Uh, but she said when she left that she was like, uh, I guess I like saying broke up with me. Left. It makes me feel like a cell phone in a hotel. Like you left your cell phone. This I, is what, I, I wish she had broken up with me. That's like a, I, I see a board and she's karate chopping it. Well, this is what Emily, who's a therapist, uh, she doesn't practice anymore. But Another she said, reason why she's good for fucking comedians. The best 
way to deal with it is that you have to take ownership of it a little bit. The end of a marriage yeah. or a relationship. That's kind of what I'm doing. It yeah. can't be something that happened to you. You have to think of it as something that happened right. with you. Yeah, yeah. So leaving... If if a girl leaves you, that's a very passive it's thing a, to happen to you. When real in reality, not to be anything, but no, no, no. it wasn't her we being failed. a complete asshole. We failed. I'm sure that there were things that you could have done to Absolutely. prevent it. Right. What's weird is I didn't know that. I was of a kid. Not. I was a baby boy. Yeah. I was a baby boy running around with a frog in You're the front like a, pocket of my overalls. Yeah, exactly. And I was married. I had a top hat that I wore and I was like, oh, I'm I a thought, man. I thought the frog was your marriage is what you were going No, no, with. no. I'm I'm saying I was in a mud field playing with frogs and then I came home to my and wife. Then you were a wife. And then I was like, let's file our taxes. Let's see. Married. She's a lot more married. grown up. What? She's, she was a lot more grown up than you yes. even today are. She was two years older than me. I mean, even more than that though. She, she was like uh, a grown up. And I was like a baby boy. Yeah. And I still am like a baby boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely had a hand in that. I'm learning that more and I blame her. And less. I think that's a powerful thing to come to terms with. Absolutely. It, it's such it's a not cliche, a failing. but you're hurting yourself for not admitting that you're like, yeah. oh, I kind of fucked up my marriage in this way. But here's what I want to say. When she left, she was like, you, I kind of feel like you already have a lover, which is comedy. Right. And now a lot of people were like, oh, you're probably on the road all the time. You're probably doing shoots all the time. Wasn't true at all. I spent most weekends. I, I used to say that I we spent hang more out all the time, time with my wife than most people because yeah. I didn't have a job. Yeah. I'd leave. And be gone for an hour. I'd go into the city, do a spot, and I'd come home. So people were like, when do you see your wife? When do you see your wife? I'm like, go fuck yourself. I'm sorry. I used to say it really mad at that. Because yeah. I was like, my wife was a teacher. She'd get home at four. I was home. Four to like nine, we're hanging out. Ten, I'm back. Yeah. We're, you know, like regular married people. Reading, I'm reading a comic book and she's reading a book. I think that, <laughs> exactly. You've got the frog. In bed, I got the frog. And, and I'm she's like. She's got like tax papers. <laughs> But Just that's the thing noises. is like for I think a big part of – and I don't know, but it, why it didn't work is that she did not feel as passionate about what you were doing as you do, which is uh, – yeah. but she didn't even seem as interested. Like Emily is obviously not as passionate as I am, but she's interested in it and we – it's the way we talk. She's like, on, uh, on your team. I won't be like, oh, I'm going to uh, – I have a show in Austin. I'm like, oh, we have a show in Austin. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's her also taking some ownership of my career, which I owe her – a lot. Like well, I would not have any that's of my, the success I have without without her. I def, definitely, definitely would not. Absolutely. Just that thing of but, I would go out after a show. Now all I want to do after a show is just go home and hang out with her. Yeah. It's so much healthier. That's so weird because after shows, I just want to go home and hang out with you guys, <laughs> which is what we did last <laughs> We're night. We're really fun. I know. Uh, what? But this is what's interesting. Somebody at some point in a relationship with a comedian has to take it on the chin. That's got to happen. I know it happens. That's my weird question. Emily, at some point, has to take it. Take one for the team. Well, this is what it is. It's hard for Emily in that in New York, we moved there and we got to know a lot of people. And the thing that she always complains about is that people in the beginning don't treat her like a real person. They right. treat her like there was an agent here. Like, and you know, so she went through in New York and then we make, became, we had really good friends like Jared Logan, Sean Patton, all these comedians like, uh, that are really good friends with both of us equally. When we moved here, she has to do that again. She's like, oh, people care about you because, you know, you're a comedian and, you, you know, you, you've done stuff. But they don't – they discount her. Yeah. There was one agent – It's a horrible feeling. I've was, had many girlfriends be like, I yeah. was invisible in that room. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. And that's how it is. And Emily, that really bugs her and it, and it really fucking should. Yeah. People don't treat her like a real person. Yeah. Now it's better. You know, she's got good friends and she's like – She's delightful. So it's it also easier... she books a room that helps. That hel- it's it weird. does help absolutely. I Suddenly, really shouldn't a- unending eye contact and and familiarities. So this agent was here and he was talking to Emily and he was like, "So when did you jump on board?" About me, meaning you? Yeah, like when did you jump on the train? And Emily got so fucking angry. Do I know? That? Tell me off air who the agent I is. I don't know. I don't remember who the agent was. Let's call him. But it's, it, that, it's, know, that, it's that kind of show. We're gonna call him. I'm just kidding. Uh, oh my god! No, 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 no. no. Hey. But as you said, so when did you jump on board? Instead of you know thinking of marriage as two people coming together equally. Whoa, it's that is her so sick. On. So gross. That is so. Up. That is a thing that she. I think. I hope she's okay talking about this because it is true. People are fucking shallow in well, LA. It's that's, so shallow. That's the other thing that I was gonna that kind of brings this up is like girlfriends, recent girlfriend, actually just one recent girlfriend was very uh, adamant that I that I was a narcissist. No one has ever called me a narcissist, but like she really convinced me. That's kind of like what I'm trying to do is like get over some of the things that uh, this person told me that I was like very self centered and very narcissistic. I'll admit that I'm self centered. All of us are. 
But like, I can also be external and giving and listening and empathetic and all that sort of stuff. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you had. You don't just have to say yeah. You had a very. Yeah, am I roast? Like, look, I'm interrupting you now. That's the point. Is like, I do like talking and and having people listen to me and stuff. But like, I don't think I'm like incapable. Of- well, this is how you and I are different. You like to own a room. Yeah. This is true. When yeah. you're in a room and there's a bunch of people, you want to be the guy. Unless someone else is being the guy and then go fuck yourself. I don't want to be the guy. I'm never in a room that I'm like, I want to own this room. What, what rooms are we talking about, though? I mean, like, you know, you're at a party or something like that. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty quiet, really. I'm, I used to be, like, really shy and pretty introverted. I'm not as much anymore, but you... You're, like, very, very outgoing. Right. And you have this thing that we can talk about. Yeah. No, make it weird. You've said it. You want everybody to like you. You yeah, want that, everybody to I'm love you. That's something I'm working on. Right. But when you're at a party, you want everybody to be like, he's the funniest guy. I remember that you were hanging out with somebody, and they did not think you were the funniest guy. And it really fucking bugged you, right? Who? It was you and uh, this girl that you oh, were interested yeah. in. Oh, yeah. And it, like, oh, fucking my God. bugged you. That was so interesting. Right? And we and we took mushrooms. And when I was on mushrooms, I was like, I'm not a big drug person, but occasionally I do mushrooms. And I was like, Oh my god, why doesn't this girl love me? Right. Like, and she barely knows me. Right. And I remember just being like, I don't understand. It's because I had an over affectionate mother. I still do. Okay. I mean, I don't know what. You know, that's why. I mean, I'm just like that's the standard. I'm like, you should adore everything I do. That's interesting. <laughs> What's that's your really mom? What was your mom like? Not like that. Or is she like. was very? She's very affectionate. Yeah. But you know. My mom and I have weirdness that we can't really get into, uh, but we... That's the third thing, isn't it? That's the third thing. The third uh, thing is coming, guys. Um, this I, is it. Can I interrupt? This is a great Bono quote. It was in the movie. Uh, in my, it was either... No, it was in the Tom Petty movie, Running Down a Dream. Uh-huh. He says, like, uh, all musicians, and this is actually true of comedians, too, have two things in common. He's like, they had, like, an over... Uh, a very angelic, loving mother that was kind of, like, taken from them or, like, gone now or uh-huh. something, or a father that hated them. Oh, that's really And he said, and if you're lucky like me to have both, you can do anything. And I was like, that's really interesting. <laughs> My mother isn't, uh, isn't dead. She's living and she's lovely and we talk and she's great. We have a good relationship. And my father didn't hate me, but I had versions of each of those things. And that's why, like, I, I know very clearly why I do what I do. I honestly think my mother was taken from me. That's really interesting that Bono said that because my mom became a different person to me. Let's call uh, Bono. After, uh, after a certain age. Yeah. Like she, and, and, uh, it's been really weird for me because I only saw her in a very specific way. Right. And then after I sort of started living differently than how she wanted me to live, she's still very wonderful and we're very close. Sure. But I sometimes I look You're at her. You're cut off from certain areas of that Very life. important areas. Yeah. Very important areas. And when I talk to her, I see – sometimes I see a different person. And it's weird. Like it's getting to the point where it doesn't even feel weird to me anymore, which is weird on its own. Yeah. God, isn't it weird? Oh, and the, and so with the worst. Oedipal complex for boys in general – I'm not saying uh, anybody wants to fuck their mother, but you're very close to your mother and you want to be with your mom and then you hate your dad and then like your dad, uh, then you, you fear your dad and then you're supposed to bond with your dad. Like you're supposed to team up with your dad. Is that how it goes? That's See, I didn't goes. have, I was never really scared of my dad. My dad's very, you know, I mean, less affectionate than, than my mom, but that's just how guys are. But my dad and I have always been very close and we yeah. never had a weird relationship. In fact, when like things sort of got weird with my mom... I got sort of weirdly closer to my dad. Maybe That's that funny. is funny. After my divorce, that happened. Yeah, yeah, because uh, my mom was the churchier one, and then then suddenly I was with my dad. You know, yeah, and we weren't literally drinking beers, but it had that guy feel of like, oh, let's yeah. go fishing. Oh, yeah. women, women, right, right. Exactly. And I suddenly like I, my dad saw me as a real person, and and uh, vice versa. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. to this day, you've met my dad, have you? I know. I John Holmes. No, it, his name is John Holmes. Yeah. The family joke is in our family we call him Shorty. Because <laughs> we have cocks that are so long. I've been hearing this joke since I was a child. I was like, yeah, because we have huge <laughs> Anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, my dad uh, doesn't really uh, listen. Like he's, not, he's like me a little bit and that he has some ADD. So like it's no wonder that I want everyone to listen to me. That's why I got that. Yeah, and I think maybe it is ADD or whatever, but you have that thing where you want to go into the room and you want to sort of own the room. Yeah, exactly. Is, I want to be listened to implicitly. Now, I used to say you can't spell dad without ADD. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little humor, little humor. See? The third thing we can't really talk about, I guess. I grew up churchy, and, and you grew up religious. Very as religious, well. yeah. Yeah, we could talk. Let's see how what happens. Yeah, well, I remember. Do you remember being in that bookstore? So uh, Kumail, if you can't tell, is brown. He's from Pakistan. Once you go Pakistan, you never go Pakistan. That's what you you're said. looking at me like you're upset, and I know you're not. No, <laughs> you said that like ten years ago. Yeah, I said that probably the first time. I, I said met it you. on stage like twice, and it. 
killed both times. What, Pakistan? Pakistan. Oh, yeah, that's right. Once you go Pakistan, you never go Pakistan. But I also coined the phrase, the only brown in town. Because we correct. would go on the road. That's correct. And I would say. And now I have a joke where I rhyme brown with town. You say, I'm the only brown in town. No, I, I say, for waiting for a brown to come to town. But it's the same thing. <laughs> That's great. Same, same, similar thing. Not right? at all uh, looking for that, but I did notice that and loved it. I have a, I have a joke where I, I accidentally say swipe hard, stri- swipe strong, which is straight yeah. from your act. <laughs> I took a line from your act <laughs> and would line. do it in front of you <laughs> on the regular. That's a level of intimacy that takes a decade. I'm going to steal a line from you and just do it. And like you, you, and then of course I'll stop doing it when I taped it, but. It's, there are recordings of it where I do There that. are. Of course. Flip cams and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, so I think that was really weird for me was when I sort of became less religious, going from very religious, and already I'd been away from my mom for, you know, a few years. And I think it got to the point where she was like, I don't know who this person is. And I had the same, that reaction to her. from her uh-huh. made me feel the same way about her. It's hard, man. My Netflix can tell I'm losing my faith because it recommends all these movies. It's yeah. like, Jesus was a sham. This is what you like, need. That's yeah. in the instant cue. The atheist way. Exactly. Yeah. I, I watch all that stuff and it's just like really – we were talking about this. You're kind of like – you pick up the theory that, that was last explained to you. Remember? Well, we were saying that that's how I am. Yeah. We, wa- we watched uh, an, a UFO an documentary. documentary and we were like, aliens are real. And then you read something debunking it and you were like, aliens aren't real. Yeah. So it's, Although I do think aliens are real. Of course. Well, we sure. could talk about that. Yeah. It, well, that, that's a kind of faith too. I don't know. What about the creation of the universe? Can we – I know that's kind of a cliche thing but I was thinking about it asking you that where I was just kind of like when I, – I can't let go of the idea of some sort of uh, God for me. Because I'm going back to like – people are like, oh, there are these crystals and that's where the universe came from or the Big Bang. It's kind of like what initiated it? Well, to me, the only thing – and there's so much about that where they're like, oh, what, what was it before the universe existed? And Stephen Hawking is like, well, we don't – every rule we have, every law is based on the universe existing. So to even ask what was around before that – is fallacious. Like to even ask, we can't do that because this conversation cannot encompass what that was. Right. So we can't even talk about it. To me, the- but so I guess the idea of something being outside of this universe could be, I suppose, some sort of God. It could be a pinball machine. But if you think of the idea of God, you think of how the world is from the first like unicellular. I'm not even talking organism. about like a conscious lifeguard. No, I, I understand. What I'm you're just saying. talking about like some sort of energy, I suppose. But to me, like if you think from the first unicellular thing, you can extrapolate and get to this point where you're the 800,000th podcast coming out, you know, like that's a huge step. <laughs> yeah. But that's huge. Yeah. I know. We've come a long fucking way. <laughs> There's a video game tournament happening downstairs yeah. right now, yeah, yeah. you know? I always think of this idea of being like really interesting as like this star supernova where our sun was and all these particles flew out and uh, where Earth happens to be that like a little particle settled and it spun into hot gas and spun into hot gas for like billions of years and it slowly cooled down and slowly cooled down and it just happened to be in a spot that could su- support life. Yeah. And now we're having a video game tournament downstairs, you know? <laughs> But if you think of how <laughs> that's a big, hey, we came a long way. Yeah, and then, and now we're like, uh, Japanese uh, desserts are horrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's with the texture? Exactly, exactly. But I think the uh, the just the idea that if we didn't have God, we would have to invent one is very, very powerful idea. Of course, and everybody does it. And with the rise of science, you can see as we can explain stuff more, religion is sort of on the decline. Like if you think of this is at this point in time in europe most places in the u.s there's more religion but even it's going down if you think of the rise of science has been indirectly proportional to religion like as we can explain more stuff like back in the day you didn't know a hurricane was coming like when right irene came we knew for weeks it was coming right people don't know and they're like what the fuck happened we yeah. have to clearly kill these chickens right to make <laughs> whatever's out there happy well, you, you, it's you, about control humans want control yeah we want patterns yeah and without meaning. science meaning Control patterns meaning. And without yeah. science, we had none of those. Yeah. So now we have control. We have patterns. Meaning we still need to figure out on our own, which yeah. I think is why so many... Well, that's what I've, I've been doing that bit lately where I'm like, that otter saved the guy that jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm like, was that God? Yeah. And you're like, no. Because so many hundreds and thousands of people who jumped out that bridge and weren't saved by otters. Yeah, just one guy just happened and otter that's so fucking to interesting by. to me. Though it's like one of two things: either people believe that God sent a subliminal message to an otter that was swimming in the deep and was like, "Oh, I got to go save a guy," 
I want to live in that world. You know what I mean? Where an otter saved a man on purpose. But it's like the Matrix. Or there's another guy that's, that's just like that otter thought, yeah. oh, the guy's feet were fish. And then yeah. that later that day, the otter killed yeah, another no. man. Exactly. No, it's the it's, Matrix. You've taste, you can't taste the steak again. I know? can't taste the steak again. Yeah. I feel like that's a good place to stop. Is it? I, I want to talk about this forever, but we can't have a nine-hour inaugural well, we could, episode. We could edit it. Right. You want to keep going? Well, I was going to say something. I forget. Uh, yeah, but I think the meaning thing ultimately it goes back to our your first one. That's why we kind of do stand up. If yeah. we, if I was super religious, I didn't ever feel the need to have anything but religion in my life. But now that I'm not super religious, I need to find meaning in other ways. Yes. I need to find because I think well, community. I was just watching that death documentary. It was like community helps people feel like they're contributing to something bigger than themselves, which is very religious. And I think after nine eleven, which is interesting Nine. because yeah, because uh, it's the anniversary coming up. I think a lot reason that a lot of people latched onto that and became so patriotic was. We're so sort of unmoored. We uh, Americans don't really feel a part of a big community which religion can provide. They don't really feel that. So when that happened, they yeah. were like, oh, this is who we are. Well, we yes. are American. We are patriotic. And it talked about that in the movie. It's like you introduce the concept of death. Suddenly people are much more xenophobic, much more like they just want to band together with their own. Yeah, I am obsessed with immortality. Like I am obsessed with not actual physical immortality. Yeah. But like when I think of like Shakespeare, oh, he died, but he will never really die. Salman Rushdie will never really die. Right. I want that. That's why I do stand up. I want that when I'm dead. Permanence. I want something that will live on. That's why uh, Michelangelo carved in marble and not paintings is that right of course I think we're, because they're still around fire yeah. can destroy paintings but michael and like david could go in a fire for a while yeah i think humans are obsessed with immortality and that's what that's what i know is my biggest thing like that's my motivation but on factor. a long enough timeline people are going to forget shakespeare and sal sal bass yeah but you know that's a long i mean shakespeare's what already been 500 stuff. years yeah but i mean what does that mean to shakespeare that's the weird thing. It doesn't mean anything to Shakespeare, but why but I you- guess presumably when you're dying, you're like, I'm going to be around a while, and yeah. that makes your final moment. You can better. look at it two ways. You can look at it the way that you're looking for immortality, and when you die, people are going to live on and be touched by it, and it's amazing. The other way to look at it, which is really depressing, is like you're just sort of fooling yourself, and you're distracting yourself from death, and you do stand up, and you do all these things just so you don't think you're gonna, just so you don't think about fucking death all the time. Yeah. And then eventually you die anyway, but at least you didn't think about it the whole time, which is a very gloomy way to look yeah, at it. It's the worst. But I do think that that's that's the struggle I have. I have to think about that I'm doing positive rather than knowing that someday I'm just gonna die and go away. You know. I gotta feel like you. That's know, what religion gives you. No, it gives I know. You immortality. But like lately, the the new agey sort of stuff. It, it, it feels like the universe, the way this world works, is recycling. I'm not talking about necessarily reincarnation, but I feel like I want to feel like that's what's true. Is I'd like to feel like. When we die, our energy has to go somewhere. But see, I think that's the fact that if your energy doesn't go anywhere, the fact that you have to think it will go somewhere, that's a very powerful idea. If there wasn't God, we'd have to invent one. If there weren't energies, you'd have to think, you'd have to invent one just because it's the safer thing to do. To me, logically, the thing that makes most sense is that we just fucking die. That's that's what I say in the bit. I'm like, you're the guy. You're on a plane. It's going down. You're either the guy with the scotch who doesn't believe and he's just like, this is as meaningless as it all was. Yeah. That's you. And yeah. I'm the guy that's like, maybe if I say a special prayer, I'll live for it. Yeah, but for me, when I'm dying, I'm like... Oh, wish, I wish I'd done my Comedy Central half hour special. You know what's they funny? could see that after I it's die. It's so crazy that you say that. When I finished taping my half hour, I got off stage and I was like, that exists. I could die right now. That's, That's what real. it is. You're trying to make real Quint- things. Quentin that- Tarantino said after he made Pulp Fiction, before he made Pulp Fiction, he had no fear of death because he knew it was his destiny to make Pulp Fiction. After Pulp Fiction, he was like, anything could happen. Yeah. Then he would be scared on Bumpy Plainwrights. He's so good. He's got like every... Isn't that interesting? Every movie he's made is amazing. Yeah. No, I love him a lot. But so, yeah. He I also guess. told my uh, a friend of mine to get a car service. And then, because he was blackout drunk, and he was like, "Get a car service." Points to himself. You ever see my name in the paper? Then he got in a cab. Isn't That's that, fucking brilliant. Isn't that brilliant? He's a great guy. Get Seems a cab. Like, yeah. Get a cab. You're oh, a millionaire. Goodness. Get a cab. Exactly. Oh, good lord. What do you think? Did you say yeah. what you wanted to say? Yeah. Did you keep it crispy? Yeah. I think we kept it crispy, guys. That's the first episode. My, I want to thank Kumail Nanjiani, Katie on the ones and twos, Katie, Katie Money, Levine. Katie Levine, Katie Money, Katie Money. 
Kumail N at Kumail N on Twitter. Pete Holmes with a Z. Yeah, on and Twitter. I have another podcast on Nerdist called The Indoor Kids, which is about video games, which is what I played. You should start with our episode. Death. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Say that clean. Oh, for me. We have another. We're not going to edit it. We have another podcast, The Indoor Kids, which is what you. I play video games, so I don't think about death. So all the time, video games are about control. We talked about it. You did my podcast. Uh, did we? You did my. Oh, podcast. we talked about. I know. I did that. Your podcast, the collection of money for immortality, too, is a big one. Yeah, that's a big one, and that kids play video games because it's control, and I think that's what for yeah. me video games. A lot of it right now is that because I see the world as being like very unstructured and yeah. not. There's no destiny or anything. Oh wow. All right. For those of you who are depressed, I think there might still be purpose and destiny. Can I say something positive to end it? Yeah. Uh, ultimately, uh, I derive meaning from relationships with people and community, and to me, that is real. And the making real f- yourself the best you can be. Yeah. Art, relationships, community, that is my God. Uh, and that's how we achieve immortality is by, like, I think it's a really beautiful thing that we all, like, exist together and, like, we have these rules and, like, we can actually touch each other and move on. And you have, in a way, you actually never really die because you say something to somebody, they say it to somebody. And, you know, hopefully yeah. years from now, you've touched people in ways that they can't even articulate. You're a participant in the infinite human community. It and is finite, but finite. That is how the podcast ends. Why does that word change when you drop the in? Finite? Infinite or finite? Yeah. Should be infinite. Yeah, it should be infinite. These are the kinds of hard questions that Pete will be asking. Ah, <laughs> uh, guys, till next time, keep it crispy. Now leaving nerdist.com. Mm-hmm.